Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's going to be a quick read this morning. Love is patient. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that speaks oftentimes so clearly and so simply into our world that is often very complex and complicated. Thank you for the clarity of your word and of your truth that brings clarity to us in in the chaos and the confusion of the world that we live in, especially right now. I pray that you would help us this morning to see more clearly your patient love for us so that we would be able to show that kind of love towards others. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our house, we have uh, a song that we sing about patience. Maybe maybe you've heard the song before. Honestly, I don't know where it came from. Um, I, I grew up with this song as kind of part of the atmosphere of my childhood. I have a very vague memory of this little, of this cassette tape we had with some Christian songs, and I think it was a snail that sung the song. Okay, I see some people shaking their heads, so I'm on the right track here. I didn't dream that up. And so the, the song goes like this, have patience, have patience, don't be in such a hurry, because when you're impatient, you only start to worry. Remember, remember that God is patient too. And think of all the times that others have to wait for you. Okay, that's, that's the patient song. <clears throat> so I've got four kids. Uh, we've used it with all, all four of our kids. Right now we have a two-year-old in our house, so we are singing the patient song a lot. Two-year-olds are not known for patience. And the beauty of this song is that, first of all, you can really slow it down. Like, you can really drag it out. Have patience. And two-year-olds don't have a a very long attention span, so sometimes by the time you get to the end of the song, they've forgotten what it was they were impatient about at at the beginning. So it's it's a great tool. And we sing it so often that now I think my two-year-old actually thinks that patience means the patient song. So when I say to her, Libby, you need to have patience, she'll start singing, usually in kind of a real sad and despondent voice, have patience, have patience, but it gets the job done. So anyone, any, any parents with uh, two-year-olds, you're welcome. You can have that one for free. Certainly a better response than my now six-year-old when he was her age. As soon as you started talking or singing the song, he would say, no, stop it. (laughs) That's probably how most of us respond more realistically in our hearts to patience. It raises the question, though, what does Paul mean in this passage when he says that love is patient? Is it simply the exercise of self-control that's so often lacking in two-year-olds and often in, in many of us as well? Is it not throwing a temper tantrum when things don't go our way? Could we just translate this verse as love doesn't throw temper tantrums? 
probably. I mean, that, that's probably one very basic application of this passage, but I think Paul has something more in view. The word he uses for patience here is one of several Greek words that can be translated as patience, and it literally means um, long in angering, or we could say slow to anger. You're probably familiar with that phrase because it's, the, it's essentially the same word that uh, Greek translations of the Old Testament used to translate the passage in Exodus 34, 6, where, the, where God reveals himself to Moses and speaks his name. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That slow to anger is the same Greek word that's used here. And it reminds us, I think, of what we've heard throughout this series, that whatever is true about love, the love that we see described in 1 Corinthians 13, it is first and most true about God himself. And so the main question I want to address this morning is, how is God patient? And the story of Christmas actually gives us, I think, one of the clearest pictures of God's patient love that we see anywhere in Scripture. And there are two aspects. There are two aspects of God's patience, I think, that we find in the Christmas story that have very significant implications for us today, this morning, in 2020. The first is God's patience in redemption, and the second is God's patience in salvation. So let's look first at God's patience in redemption. And when I say redemption here, what I'm talking about is God's global purposes, his cosmic plan to redeem all that has been broken by the fall and by sin. If you have your Bibles, you can turn briefly to Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. These are the last verses of the last chapter of the last book in the Old Testament. says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. These are the last recorded words of the Old Testament, both in terms of the, the chronology of the Bible and in terms of chronology in time. They were written around 430 years before the coming of, before the birth of Christ, and they usher in what is commonly known as 400 years of silence. This is a 400-year period in which there is no officially recognized prophetic or authoritative biblical writing. And during this period, Israel did not have a very easy go. They were conquered by Greece, they were conquered by Egypt, they were conquered by Syria, and then in roughly 63 BC, they were conquered by Rome, and then even after that, there was additional political turmoil. If there is ever a point in Israel's history where they may have felt isolated, abandoned, and hopeless, it is at this moment. Why has Israel suffered so much loss? Why have they been subjugated and humiliated for so long? Why are they so divided? Where is God? Well, he's about to show up. 
And it's here that we see with brilliant clarity God's patience in redemption. Galatians 4.4 says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The fullness of time. What does that mean? There's a lot we could say, but at the core it means this, that even in the darkest days of Israel's history, God was patiently working to accomplish his redemptive purposes both for Israel and for the whole world. 2 Peter says it this way, 2 Peter 3.8, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God's patience in redemption means that he is actively working through all of the events of human history to maximize the number of people that will experience his salvation. In other words, the motivation for his patience in redemption is love. This is maybe a little bit of a side note, but I firmly believe that one of the experiences we will have as those who have come into a relationship with Jesus, one of the experiences we'll have in the new heavens and the new earth of God's redeemed kingdom is that we will spend eternity understanding more and more clearly and deeply all of the countless ways that God has worked throughout human history, even in the most horrific circumstances, to accomplish his redemptive purposes for our salvation. And while we don't see those purposes completely now, I think in the hindsight of history, we do get some glimpses of his wisdom in his redemptive purposes. We see, for example, that at the particular moment that Jesus enters human history, the Roman Empire has conquered a vast geographic area. And that, that area includes a, an extremely diverse population of cultures and nationalities. This empire brought relative peace. It brought a common language. It brought extensive roads and infrastructure for travel. It brought freedom of movement from all the way from northern Europe down to northern Africa into eastern Asia. And... This means that when Jesus, having accomplished his earthly ministry, sends out his disciples with the mission to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, they have more resources and more opportunities at their disposal than at any point in human history up to that moment. And this is one of the clear reasons, in human terms at least, why the gospel is able to spread so fast and so far in one generation. Now is that a coincidence? maybe. I don't think so, because when you look throughout the, the pages of Scripture, you see God patiently but relentlessly using geopolitical circumstances in the nation of Israel to accomplish his loving, redemptive purposes for them and for the world. And you see that all throughout the pages of, of Scripture, and so I don't think there's any reason to believe that that stops just because we don't have it captured in Scripture. But Christmas is unique. Christmas is the first chapter in the great climax of this redemptive story. 
Christmas shows us that God is never silent, even though sometimes he seems so to us. Christmas shows us that God is never dormant and inactive, even though we don't always see his activity. Christmas shows us that God is never out of control, even when the circumstances in our world seem completely out of control. And I want to I make an application here because I don't think, well, I do think that we can see glimpses of God's sovereign activity through history. I don't think it's helpful or wise to try and speculate about every, how every current event fits into the global redemptive plan or, his, or the end times or the whatever. And unfortunately, in the chaos and the confusion of this current time, there are a lot of people who want to give stories like that. They want to try and give some picture of, of a grand conspiracy or, or something, some, some grand uh, battle of good and evil that's unfolding right now. And that's true to a certain degree, but we don't see it clearly. And the scripture is clear that that's not our first purpose and that's not, why, that's not how we wisely react to the circumstances of our current world. In fact, what I want to see here, what I want us to see here, and I think what we do see here is quite the opposite. God is patiently working out his redemptive purposes in the world, not because he's sitting back waiting for his next move in some kind of cosmic chess match. It's because he's perfectly in control of everything. He's the one writing every page of this redemptive story. And he already knows how it ends. And by the way, so do we. We can love patiently because God is working patiently. We can press into a world that's in complete chaos with the love of Christ because we know that God is actively working in the midst of viruses and governments and wildfires and hurricanes and murder hornets and all of the other things that this year has brought us. He's actively at work to accomplish his redemptive purposes and we get to be a part of that. Church, let's not miss the opportunity we have because we're so distracted and divided by the same things that the world is distracted and divided by. What are the circumstances right now that seem most out of control to you in the world? Where does it seem to you like God is silent? Where do you feel like you're simply running out of patience? This year has given us no shortage of opportunities for patience. Which is to say that it has given us no shortage of opportunities to trust God. And as Kenny preached early on in the COVID-19 experience, when we can't trace God's hand, we, can, we must trust God's heart. And Christmas reminds us of God's heart. That he loves us so much that in his perfect timing, he sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And there's nothing that will stop him from accomplishing that plan. So we see God's patience in redemption. Let's look at God's patience in salvation. 
At this point, we've been zoomed out. We've been looking at God's global redemptive plan. But here we're going to zoom the lens in and see God's patient love for individual people, for you and me. And maybe you're even thinking, well, that's great that God is in control at the kind of at a cosmic level and he's in control of all of the circumstances in the world. But what about all the people who lived and died during those 400 years of silence who never saw God's redemption? What about all the people right now who are losing their jobs, or closing their businesses, getting sick and even dying? People who are experiencing real loss as a result of the circumstances in our world. Where's God in that? And those are honest and understandable questions. What I want us to see now is the way in which God's patient love is expressed towards ordinary, everyday people like you and me in the ordinary circumstances that we live in. God's global redemptive purposes are never disconnected from his unique and personal redemptive care for us. And Christmas, the Christmas story, gives us a number of incredible examples of God's unique and personal redemptive love. But I want to focus on one example from the life of Simeon. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read starting in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents in And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you prepared in the presence of all people a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So we are a few days after the birth of Jesus and Jesus' parents have brought him into the temple in Jerusalem to set him apart, to consecrate him according to the law. And this man, Simeon, is here waiting. Simeon is himself a great example of biblical patience. He's evidently an old man. We see this in his prayer. He's essentially coming to the end of his life and he says, I'm ready to go in peace. I'm ready to die in peace. He, sorry, Luke tells us that he has been waiting for God's redemption in Israel. He's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's been waiting for God's redemptive purposes to unfold and he has received from the Holy Spirit an indication that he will see the Christ before he comes. And in the midst of his waiting, he's been faithful. He's been faithfully serving God. He's a righteous and devout man. Simeon reminds us that biblical patience isn't, it isn't just sitting back waiting for the Lord, doing nothing, and waiting for him to, to do something. It is continuing to be faithful as an expression of our confidence in God, even in the midst of uncertainty. 
So Simeon is clearly a godly man, but by every account, he's an ordinary man. There's no indication that he's rich or that he's powerful. There's no indication that he's a religious leader. He's not anyone that the world outside of this story would have taken note of. But God takes note of him. And we see in this moment the way that God is simultaneously accomplishing his grand redemptive purposes and at the very same moment he's accomplishing very specific redemptive purposes in the lives of ordinary people who have put their trust in him. And we'll see the same a few verses later if you keep reading into the story of Anna. And I just want you to think for a moment about what it was like to be Simeon at, in this experience. You've spent your whole life waiting. I don't know what that means. 40, 50, 60, 70 years. You've received what you felt was an impression from the Holy Spirit that you would see the Messiah. But now you're coming to the end of your life not knowing if or how that would be accomplished. And you walk into the temple one day as you probably have thousands of times before. And there he is. And suddenly, in that moment, years of waiting and praying and hoping and doubting and fighting for faith and pressing in to God's promises explodes in the realization that God really does care for me. He really has and does hear my prayers. He really is faithful to his promises. We see from Simeon's example that even though God was silent, so to speak, on a global scale, he was still speaking to his people. He was still leading his people. He was still caring for his people. He always has and he always will. And we see this across the whole narrative of Jesus' birth. Whether it's Mary or Joseph or Elizabeth or Zechariah or Simeon or Anna. Each one comes with their own unique story. Their own challenges, their own fears, their own dreams, their own weakness and their own sin. And in each case God uniquely and patiently and lovingly works his purposes in them and through them. For their salvation, for their good and for his glory. So what about you? Have you had experiences like this in your life? If you've come into a relationship with Christ, I think you have. I believe you have stories of how God has patiently pursued you. Even in your weakness and your doubts and in your sin and your rebellion. You have stories of how God has used circumstances in your life to patiently reveal your need for him and show you more of his grace and his mercy. You have stories of how God has cared for you in such specific ways that like Simeon, there's no explanation under the, uh, other than that God really does know you and cares for you. 
And friends, this is why I firmly believe that we will spend eternity understanding more and more in, in more and more detail the perfection of God's redemptive plan. Because we'll spend eternity hearing each other's stories. And from people from every tribe and every tongue and every culture and every time throughout human history will hear stories of God's particular redemption and salvation in their lives. And we'll see, little by little, each thread, how each thread weaves together into the grand tapestry that displays the glory of God's perfect and incredible, redemptive, and patient love. Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. If you want to know what patience is, what long-suffering looks like, All you need to do is read through one of the Gospels. Yes, love is patient. Jesus was patient. And if the Lord of loving patience lives in you, your love will be patient too. But there's more. Four, if you think about it, the greatest illustration you know of his long-suffering is the way he has been long-suffering towards you. Ask Andy to return. God's patient love towards us is what fuels our patient love towards others. So friends, where are you finding it hard to love right now? Who are you finding hard to love right now? Who are you finding hard to be long-suffering in your love? Who are you finding it hard to be slow to anger in your love? Who are you finding it hard to be relentlessly persevering in your love? Patient love keeps pursuing people who are difficult to love because God has never stopped pursuing us. So I've decided to make one change to my patience song. <clears throat> and now I think it will be one that I can start singing to myself as well as to my two-year-old. Remember, remember that God is patient too. And think of all the ways that he's dealt patiently with you. Amen. Amen.